The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 73 The God of Hammers 1883 January 16th Denver, Colorado. Paris and Thalia entered the blacksmith's shop. To Paris, everything in the shop seemed overly large. The door seemed to be bigger than it needed to be. There was a carved wooden chair that looked like her and Thalia could sit in it together without problems. The counters were tall, and the hardware Hephaestus sold were hung on displays set high and out of reach. The fire in the oversized hearth was fed with air flowing from bellows attached to a clockwork engine that kept it moving without Hephaestus's attention. Paris understood why everything was so big as Hephaestus entered. He came in from a door in the back of the shop. He pushed through a curtain made of chains hanging from the doorframe. Paris thought he had ducked as he passed through the oversized door. But once through, he didn't straighten. He walked, hunched over, and limped as he moved almost dragging his left leg, but even hunched over, he was easily the biggest man Paris had ever seen. If he straightened up, she was sure he had to be taller than Hector. His arms were muscled beyond what Paris thought possible. His chest was broad and his stomach full. He wore leather pants and a leather apron, but no shirt beneath it. Hephaestus threw a handful of horseshoes into the fire and then turned to Paris and Thalia. Bring your horse around back, and I will shoe it, Hephaestus said without looking. That's not what I need, Paris answered. Hephaestus looked up, his head cocked to one side. There was a scar across one eye, and it was white. His nose at some point had been broken and was now crooked. He was missing an eyebrow, but his smile spread across his face, and Paris thought it reminded her somehow of Thalia's stuffed bear. Thalia? Are you Thalia? Hephaestus asked. Do we know each other? Thalia asked in return. Sadly, no. Not in this life. But you are one of my wife's girls. She told me all about you. You are more lovely in person than I could have imagined. You're Lady Venus's husband? Asked Thalia. Hephaestus laughed before he answered. (laughs) Oh, yes. And proud of it. Don't tell me. Who did you bring with you? This is... No, no. Let me guess. You must be her champion. Well, little prince, what can this humble blacksmith do for you today? Hephaestus leaned on the counter in front of Paris. My name is Anna, Paris said as if it was a question. It is. (laughs) And who told you that? Hephaestus asked. My mother. What if she was wrong? My father confirmed it. They couldn't have both been wrong. You never know, answered Hephaestus. But if you don't want shoes for your horse, why are you here? I was wondering if you would be able to make these for me. Paris pulled from her pocket a folded piece of paper. On it, there was a pencil sketch of a bracket she would need to hang the Amazon sign above the barn. It was just a folded square piece of steel with holes set where the bolts needed to be, and the measurements were written out next to it. I will need two of them, Paris said as Hephaestus looked over the paper. 
What are these for? He asked. They're brackets to hang a sign above a barn door. That should work, I guess. Give me a moment. Hephaestus turned from Paris, and with his hands he pulled a pile of coal from a bin near the forge. He dumped all of it into the fire at once, and began pushing harder on the bellows, until the orange center of the fire grew white-hot. From a rack stacked with metal bars and steel, he pulled a rectangle piece and shoved it into the fire, pushing once again on the bellows. Thalia tapped Paris on the shoulder as she watched the man, fascinated by the work. Anna? It's it's time. I have to go. Where are you going? Naomi has some jobs for me in town. I'll be back at the farmhouse later. How are you going to get home? I've arranged for Cassandra to pick me up from the house when I'm done, so you won't have to worry about me. Don't go, Paris whispered. I have to go, Thalia answered. I'll pay for it. I'll cover the cost. Just don't go. Paris offered. For how long, whiskey girl? How much money do you have? Can you afford to outbid every man who wants to buy my services from Naomi? I can buy today. You will have me today. I will come home to you, but I need to do my job. You don't have to work for Naomi. You can stay with me. We'll find something else for you to do. You're my lover, and I do love you. I adore you. But I love Naomi as well. I don't work for her because I have to. She does not own me. I work for her because we have made vows of our own between each other, and they can't be broken like this. She's my lady, and you're my lover. As long as you can accept that. If you cannot accept that, you have to tell me now. And if I couldn't? Well, then I'd leave. You wouldn't love me any more. Oh, I'll always love you, but I would leave and love you from afar because I know that being with you would hurt you too much, and I cannot hurt the woman I love. I love you, Thalia. Don't leave me. Then you have to let me go. Go. Paris said as she closed her eyes. She could not bear to watch her walk away. I'll see you tonight. Paris felt Thalia kiss her on the cheek. Then she heard the sound of the door open and close again. She opened her eyes and looked up, to find she was alone. She sat down in the oversized chair, staring at the floor, trying not to cry. She didn't notice the hammering had stopped. But she looked up as she felt someone watching her. Once again, Hephaestus leaned against the counter. He smiled at Paris, but this time his smile seemed darker, not as broad, not as bright. Not the smile of a stuffed bear. It was a smile filled with pain. You okay, little prince? He asked. I'll be fine. Nothing can hurt me, right? Paris answered. If only that were true. Would you like a drink? Yes. Please. Hold on. I have something special. Hephaestus walked to a cabinet and began to open and close door after door until he found what he was looking for. He pulled from the back a dusty green glass bottle, it was molded with a picture of the sun and the field of crops basking in its glory. He found some glasses, wiped them clean as he brought them back. Paris got out of the chair and stepped up to the counter. It was tall, and she felt as if she was stepping up to a bar as she put her arms on it. Now this, Hephaestus said, this is what happens if you take the food of the gods, 
ferment it, distill it, and then age it for 500 years. Paris laughed a little, thinking it was a joke. Hephaestus poured only enough for about two sips into the small glass. Paris picked up the glass and examined the clear liquid. I know, it doesn't look like much, but that is all you're going to need. Trust me. Hephaestus said as he poured a small glass for himself, giving himself exactly the same amount. He held out his glass and Paris touched hers to his. Cheers, said Paris, and she drank the first sip. It was sweet, despite the fact that it was sharp with the taste of alcohol. Paris thought it had to be somewhere near 180 proof, almost pure. As it touched her tongue, it felt like it evaporated. To her, it seemed like she breathed more of it than she swallowed. It left behind an aftertaste that reminded her somehow of vanilla and sugar. Then she felt it. She felt the warmth of it seep into her. It spread through her body, down to her toes, out to her fingertips, and then to her head. The world spun a little. She felt as if she had three drinks, not one sip. She smiled. He was right. She probably shouldn't drink any more than these two sips. But she was glad she had another. This was wonderful. Wow, what is this? It's amazing, Paris asked. There's not really a name for it in English. The closest translation, I think, is rum? But that's not exactly accurate, Hephaestus explained. Thank you for sharing it with me. It's incredible. Do you love my daughter? Your daughter? My wife raised her in that brothel, and in spirit she's my daughter, even if she's not physically mine. So tell me, do you truly love her? Yeah. It's just that I don't understand her. She's kind, beautiful, warm, and loving. The attention she gives me makes me feel like I am the most important person in the world to her. Then... I have to watch her walk away and give that same attention to someone else. It tears me in two. It makes me question everything. If any of it is real, is it all just an illusion? If she can give herself so freely to a stranger, how can I know that she means it when she gives herself to me? I could be a stranger to her. I could be nothing to her and I would never know it. You're afraid she doesn't love you because she sleeps with other men. I feel it's more complicated than that, but maybe it's not. Then you have two things to consider. The first is, would it matter? Do you love her enough to accept her gift, even if it's only an illusion she crafts for you? Can you accept the kindness the warmth and the caring it would take to fake a passion like hers, all so she could heal your broken heart. What is the second thing? Is your love strong enough that you can give it without receiving it in return? The girls like to say, everyone pays, nothing is free. But that's not exactly true. If you love her only because she loves you back, if you love her for what you can get from her, then isn't your love as much of an illusion as hers might be? If you truly loved her, you could love her and give her your soul 
and in return demand nothing. Is that what it's like between you and Lady Venus? It wasn't always. She taught me this. When we were first married, I was jealous of everyone she spoke to. I saw betrayal in every smile, and one day, I caught her. I exposed her to her family. I shamed her and broke her heart. I demanded a divorce. She said no. I hated her, but she loved me anyways. And for my cruelty, she was kind. When I ignored her, she waited. And if I ran from her, she followed. She showed me that love was a gift, and gifts are given freely. Make your love a gift. Expect nothing for it. Then, if she does give it back to you, wrapped up in her own ribbon, you will know it's true, and you will never question it again. But if she does not, then love her all the same. She deserves it. I don't know if I'm that strong. Paris took her glass and drank what was left. When it's the right girl, it is the easiest thing in the world. He lifted his glass and drank the rest. Thalia does not make it easy. <laughs> no, neither did Lady Venus. He laughed and took the glasses and put them back under the counter. He grabbed the brackets off his anvil and set them on the counter. Now, these are for Celia, right? They are. Also, I was wondering if you sold knives, Paris asked. What do you need a knife for? It's for Celia. She doesn't seem interested in learning how to fight, nor does she care for guns. But she does seem to have a fondness for knives. I was going to buy her something to keep with her. You know, just in case. Well, for that, you have come to the right place. From beneath the counter, Hephaestus pulled out a large wooden case. He opened it to reveal that it was lined in black velvet. On each side, there were the most beautiful knives Paris had ever seen. She picked up a hunting knife. The blade was polished steel. And though it wasn't any bigger than the knife she had, it seemed heavier and sharper. The handle was carved oxbone, depicting a coyote on one side and a rose on the other. Its balance was perfect. She flipped it back and forth in her hand. Do you like that one? It's beautiful. It's yours, little prince. Take it. But that one is not for Celia. For Celia, I have something special. Hephaestus walked to the back of the shop. From a drawer, he pulled a knife wrapped in a soft leather cloth. He brought it to the counter and then carefully unfolding the cloth, he revealed the largest knife Paris had ever seen. It was shaped like a hunting knife, but at least four times bigger than the one he'd given her. The blade was nine inches long and three inches wide at its base. The metal was polished until it reflected light like a mirror. Its handle was brass and redwood. On the pommel, there was a small cue and a heart hammered into it. It's a bowie knife, asked Paris. I like to think of it more as a short sword. I made this one especially for Celia. I intended to give it to her myself, but she hasn't come for a visit. You give it to her, and you tell her come and visit her father every once in a while. You're Celia's father, too. 
I am one of the contenders. But beyond that, I am her mother's husband, and so she is my daughter as well. That would explain why she's so tall. Do you think she looks like me? Hephaestus tried to straighten up. He couldn't entirely. He held a hand to his chest, posing. Paris looked him over. In absolutely no way that was conventional was this man handsome. He was partially hunched over. His face was scarred and slightly lopsided. His feet, she saw, were two different sizes. His hands were thick with scars and black with soot. Aphrodite was the most beautiful woman Paris had ever seen, and Aphrodite had thrown herself at this man's feet. The woman who loved everyone loved this man the most, in spite of the fact that he was not physically attractive. Paris saw in him the beauty she must have seen. He was regal, he was strong and kind. She knew there was more to love than just physical attraction, and for a moment she saw she saw Penthesilia beneath him. Her heart was a gift he had given her, strong, a craftsman's heart, unwilling to accept the steel as it had been given to her. She would pound her life with a hammer until it fit her needs. Yes, she looks exactly like you, Paris told him. <laughs> you don't have to lie to me. I am very aware of what I look like. Hephaestus smiled and once again leaned on the counter. Not... On the outside. On the inside. Well, I'm glad you've come here today, and I'm happy you will be taking care of my girls for me. You will make a fine son-in-law. Come by any time to talk. Hephaestus reached out and punched Paris lightly on the shoulder. You do realize I'm also a girl, right? Paris asked. Hephaestus took one hand and covered his bad eye with it. Then cocked his head and moved in closer as he inspected her with his good eye. Well, I'll be damned, so you are. I thought Anna was a strange name for a boy. He was genuinely amazed. What do I owe you? The girls are wrong. Sometimes in life, you do get something for free. Tell Celia I miss her, and she should come by every once in a while. Now go on, little prince. Your queen is waiting. Hephaestus once again smiled broad and happy. Her eyes, they shone like the diamonds. You'd think she was queen of the land. And her hair hung over her shoulder, tied up with a black velvet band. Paris sang as she rode Pony into the barn. Celia and some of the new girls Paris didn't recognize were working on decorating the stage, that she hoped one day would also serve as the ring. The dance was four days away, and the last of the preparations were being put into place. The first batch of Applejack would be ready just in time as Paris planned to hang the sign today. As I was out strolling one evening, not planning to go very far, I met with a pretty young damsel, Selling her lace in a bar. Paris continued. Penthesilia shook her head and walked up to Pony's stall as Paris almost fell off of her trying to dismount. She filled me with whiskey and porter till I was not able to stand. And the very next thing that I knew, my friend, I... I... I don't remember the rest. 
Paris said to Penthesilia, who was watching her with suspicion. You don't remember the rest because you probably passed out at that point. Are you drunk? No, I'm not. I'm not drunk. There's no way I could be drunk. I didn't drink anything. Oh, wait. Hey, Celia, I met your father. The blacksmith. Yeah. You didn't drink anything he claimed to be rum, did you? Oh, yeah. That was it. It was incredible. But only had a tiny bit. That's all it takes of that stuff. From now on, if he ever offers you any more, you tell him I said no. Got it? Okay. <laughs> I will. Hey, Celia, did you know I have a girlfriend? Yeah, yeah, whiskey girl, I know. No, you don't get it. We live together. She lives with me. I'm officially her boyfriend. Girlfriend. I don't know. Something. I'm her person friend. Yeah, yeah, whiskey girl. Everybody knew. How could you not have known she was supposed to tell you? She didn't tell me. She just kept coming over. But isn't it wonderful? Where is Thalia? I don't, don't, I don't know. Doing her job. Sleeping with someone else. Paris's voice lowered to almost a whisper. Her head dropped and she went to sit on the hay bale. I'm okay, though. We worked it out. We talked about it. It's okay. It really is. I thought you stopped drinking. How can I stop drinking? I'm the whiskey girl. The whiskey girl is always drinking. After all, I should earn my name. Or one day, you'll just call me the girl all the time. Anna, are you okay? Penthesilia knelt down in front of her and held her hands. She's coming home. She's going to come home to me. We'll be together tonight. I get her. When she's done. That's the deal we made. Paris began to cry, and then rubbed her face, knocking the tears away and straightened up. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. I really am. Don't tell her anything is wrong. Don't let her know I said anything. I'm really embarrassed. Please don't tell her. Paris begged. I won't. It'll just be between you and me, okay? Thank you, Celia. Thank you. Oh, I have a gift for you. It's from your father. Paris stood up and went to her saddlebags. She pulled from it the bowie knife still wrapped in the soft leather. I got one, too, but mine is not as pretty and nowhere as near as this big. Paris unwrapped it and held it out for Celia to take. Her eyes went wide as she reached for it. She picked it up and felt the weight of it, the power. He made this? For me? Yeah. He said he made it just for you, and I will make you a leather sheath for you, so you can have it with you whenever you go out, just in case. Look on the pommel, the Queen of Hearts. Are you the Queen of Hearts? Yes. That's that's his little joke. My last name is Hart. I'm Celia Hart. My mama always called me her little queen. So I'm the Queen of Hearts. I didn't know that. I'm your best friend, and I didn't know your name. I'm so sorry. 
and it's so beautiful. I love Celia Hart. I mean, I love your name. It fits you. Not that, not that I don't love you. I, I'm just, I'm sorry. I never thought to ask you your name. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. I don't tell most people. But I'm your sister. I should know these things. And now you do. Yeah, now I do. Your father thought I was a boy. Oh, and he wants you to come see him. Did I tell you I have a girlfriend? Yeah, yeah, you did, Whiskey Girl. Come on, come on. Why don't you go take a nap? I'll help you into bed. I need to hang the sign. I have the brackets. I know, I know. It's okay. You'll do it tomorrow. Come on, come on. You're going to bed. She's coming home. She's coming home to me. She lives with me. I know, Whiskey Girl. I know. But that drink you had is about to knock you out for at least three hours. So come on, I'm taking you to bed. You can't. I have a girlfriend. (laughs) I'm not going to sleep with you. I'm just going to make sure you don't pass out halfway there. Celia, I really do love you. Come on. You probably have about five minutes before you pass out. and I don't want to have to carry you. Thank you, my queen of hearts. Anna, you're not going to remember this, but... I should say it anyway. I love you too. Aphrodite sat at her desk when she heard a knock at her door. Arcadia, come on in, she said without getting up. Arcadia entered, holding a small folded piece of paper. Lady, a message came for you, she said, and she handed the piece of paper to Aphrodite. Thank you, Arcadia. Is that all you need? Yes, lady. Then you can go. You were kind to bring this to me. Of course, my lady. Arcadia bowed and left the room as quietly as she could. Aphrodite unfolded the paper and read. Tonight. Was all it said. It was written in an ancient form of Greek that was no longer used or spoken, but Aphrodite recognized it. She recognized the handwriting. She recognized the smudges of coal from his fingers. Thousands of years, and he had not changed. She smiled to herself. She stood from her desk. She'd have to get herself ready. Tonight, her husband wanted her, so she would not disappoint him. And she knew he would not disappoint her. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Lee. Artwork by Helen Lee. Performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead. Except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you.